0: Today's program made possible by patrons like you. Welcome to another episode of What's the Score? Before we get to the program for today, I I wanted to mention that if you're enjoying this podcast, consider becoming a larger part of the show. I've started a program where listeners can support our efforts through monthly contributions and in turn get some goodies and perks with that. Now, if you want more information you can visit our Facebook page for details or you can go to www.patreon.com/what's the score now what's the score is all one word patreon is spelled p a t r e o n patreon.com/what's the score and you can learn more the contributions are very small but they help offset uh, some of the costs that we've uh, incurred as well as, as I like to say, leaving a little tip in the tip jar, if you'd be so kind. Now, first of all, the the show will always be free to listen to, so I want you to be rest assured of that. But I, I do want to reward dedicated listeners, and also, quite frankly, just get a little bit of money for my effort. So, if you're able to and you're willing, I'd really be grateful. That's Patreon.com/slash What's the Score. Patreon.com/slash What's the Score. Thanks very much. Welcome to where we celebrate music from the movies. From the Golden Age to present day, we've got it covered. We talk to those from the industry and learn about them and their favorite scores. Welcome to What's the Score? I'm your host, Frank R. Wilson. So, let's take a look at the shelf of CDs and see what we're going to play today. recognize that music it's a favorite of our guest today he's a emmy nominated and award-winning composer over 30 films and 60 plus tv shows have been supported by his music not stopping there he's also composed music uh, that are not connected to any films and in fact we will have a new album coming out later this year his credits to name just a few include films like the last starfighter and remo williams and tv shows such as cheers and tales from the crypt Please join me in welcoming Craig Saffin to the program. Hi Craig. Hey, how you doing? I'm good. I'm good, you know, good. considering the circumstances we're in, which is kind of unusual. We're recording this when uh, we're still all under quarantine, but I really exactly. very appreciative of you joining us today. Um, we generally start off with uh, trying to learn more about the uh, the individual if you would Maybe just give us a, a sense. Tell us a little bit about yourself, primarily outside of music and before you got into that. But you know, things like where'd you grow up and family and things of that that sure. type.
1: Yeah. Well, I was born in Los Angeles. Uh, my father was born in Los Angeles, so we're the unusual Angelinos. <laughs> Most people <laughs> tend to have moved moved here from other locations, but yeah, I think we've been here since at least World War One. So. I'm very much uh, a product of Los Angeles and love living here and have seen it change over the years uh, my mother was from Laredo Texas actually and she was a pianist and uh, after the war got married and stopped playing piano but I started picking it up when I was about six years old and she helped me um, she helped me uh, learn the notes but I was already Playing by ear when I was six. Wow! And then when she then when she got me, uh, wanted to give me lessons because she said, "Well, I'm not, you know, you shouldn't be taught by your mother. I should get you a teacher." <laughs> she said she had always played classical, and she said, "You know, nobody ever liked listening to classical music at parties. It was a drag. I'm going to find you a teacher who teaches popular music, which meant basically, you know, the the, the standards, sure. things like that, rock, you know." And she found this great. Teacher named Helene Mirrich who it turned out not only was a jazz pianist, but was a classical violinist.
2: Hmm.
1: So she had both sides in that she uh, could totally improvise anything with the best, but also could read anything. Uh, wow. She's still a very close friend of mine. She's 90 years old now.
0: Oh my goodness.
1: Uh, but she's great. And so she had me improvising from the very first lesson. And I loved ragtime. And I said, that's what I want to learn how to play, ragtime. Hmm. And I remember the first piece I played was Alexander's Ragtime Band. And uh, so, so I just always improvised. But because of her classical training, she, I still had to learn all the classical techniques. But instead of learning them through playing Beethoven and Mozart, I learned them through playing Scott Joplin, but it's still, you know, it's still the same technique and it's not easy music to play. So, uh, that's sort of how I started. Um, I started writing music when I was in junior high school, I started writing songs. Uh, I love pop music. Uh, so I, uh, started having bands. I was not really interested in classical music very much. And I had a band in high school. I had one band that was a jazz band and another band that was sort of a rock and roll band that played cover tunes like, you know, Mm. know, the rolling stones and Gloria, you know, from Mm -hmm. them and that, you know, that period. So, um, so I was just always playing music and, uh, writing a lot of songs when it came time to go to college. I was also a really good artist. I was, I could paint, I could draw anything. Um, I was, was, you know, very good at the visual arts. And when I went to college, I knew my parents did not want me to take music. And I really didn't even want to take music because I definitely was not an academic musician and a conservatory. I wouldn't have even known what to do there because (laughs) I was already playing things that were way, way more complicated than what you'd learn at a conservatory for your first two or three years. Mm. I mean, I was playing Bill Evans pieces, Thelonious Monk, you know, very complex things. And I would go see those people in Los Angeles. They all played Los Angeles, uh, in a club here called Shelly's manhole. Shelly Mann was a great jazz drummer and he had mm. a club and my dad would take me to the club. Cause I could, even though they served liquor, if you went in with an adult, <laughs> you could get in. <laughs> and so I saw, all the great jazz pianists play there. Wow. And my teacher was amazing because this is, you know, long before digital recording. And uh, I would say, wow, I want to play that Thelonious Monk piece. And she would not only write out the piece, but she would transcribe his jazz solos. So I could see exactly what he was doing, which is pretty phenomenal. Wow. Yeah. So when I went to college, I went in as an art major saying, okay, I'm going to become an architect. But what I really found out, even though I loved art and painting and all that, was that I was spending more and more time just alone in the practice room, writing songs, writing original musicals, uh, listening to classical music for the first time. I think the first classical piece I really listened to was Stravinsky's The Rite of Spring, Mm -hmm. which is sort of an interesting place to start. But that's because I had read leonard bernstein's book on music uh, appreciation and he mentioned that so i thought oh i gotta listen to that and then at college they had this weird place called the electronic music laboratory and i talked my way into that and would spend countless nights fiddling with dials and cables and <laughs> and, and there was a what's called a buchla synthesizer and this was Before synthesizers had keyboards, they were just sound machines. That was the idea. That was the idea, was that music was sound. It wasn't notes. Music was legitimately just sound pictures. And that's how synthesizers began. People wanting to develop sound machines. So I did that. I wrote a number of original musicals for college. And because of my musical Mm. background, I was one of the only guys who could do pop music but also could read meaning read music and read write music, music yeah. yeah and so people would come to me and say wow we're working on a record album at warner brothers uh, do you know how to put string parts on here i say sure i'll do it and i'd read how to write string parts and mm-hmm. hire people from the boston symphony and so i did a, a several albums record albums while i was in college where i was already arranging strings for albums and ended up uh, winning the prize senior prize in both music and in uh, drama at my university and then i was awarded a thomas j watson foundation fellowship which gave me money for a free year abroad to pursue my interests in a non-academic setting Hmm. and so i spent a year outside of london living in a farmhouse writing music going into London, working on the electronic music scene, meeting people, and then traveling all around, traveling all around Europe, Morocco, Spain, (laughs) all those places. You couldn't go to East Europe back in those days. That was like 1970, and that was still closed. But um, by the time I came back to Los Angeles, I was uh, a pretty good musician, had written probably hundreds of songs, and knew a lot about electronic music, but also knew a lot about how to write music and how orchestras work, because I
0: huh.
1: studied a lot of scores.
0: Well, and I want to get into that uh, yeah, sure. at, at, at some point, but I, I also want to also make sure that we, uh, we have time for some of the cues that we wanted to, to play sure. today. Sure, go ahead. Uh, and we're going to feature your music today, so I would be grateful if you could kind of, kind of talk us through it a little bit. The, uh, sure. The first cue, I think, is called Crazy Horse Dreams and uh can you tell us as to why you wanted to feature that as one of your uh, favorite compositions
1: right well i think you should start with what's called the washita massacre
0: okay we can do that
1: uh they're from the same show this was a mini series based on a wonderful book called son of the morning star which was a brand new revisionist history of custer and little bighorn Hmm. and uh It's fantastic. It's a really fantastic book and I was really happy that I got the job to write it. And what I wanted to do was try to write the music for Custer and the uh, you know uh, European Americans using all strings with a few brass. But then when I would go to the Native American scenes and I would use, I had a uh, I used the Native American flute player improvising on Sioux melodies hmm. and I would have him improvise watching the film I would choose the melody and he would he knew the melodies because they're you know they're in the tradition and then I would add percussion and synthesizers to that so that the score actually had two completely different sounds the sound of the Europeans which was very, uh moody and like an elegy Mm -hmm. and the sounds of the native americans which was uh native american percussion and flute but then with synthesizers sort of gluing it together
0: oh wow Um, well let's yeah we got we got to hear that you've certainly piqued my curiosity
1: so you could play the washita massacre to start with and get the idea of the main theme of the show
0: okay We'll do that, and then that'll also be followed up by the uh, Crazy Horse Dreams as well, both in the same film, uh, Son of the Morning Star. Written by our guest, Craig Safin. Said something that uh, piqued my curiosity. You were glad to get that that job on Son of the Morning Star. Um, I'm curious. If for the most part during your career, did did you pursue jobs or did jobs pursue you? Uh, it works
1: both ways. And you have yeah. an agent. You have an agent who helps you pursue jobs. And that one, uh, I can't remember how I exactly got the job, but I was very happy because I loved the book. I had heart. I had read the book because I'm sort of a history buff mm-hmm. and it was really one of the best American history books, I think, written at that period. Um, and so I was, you know, I was very, very up to doing it. Uh, I knew a few of the people involved. Maybe I'd worked with a few of them,
2: mm-hmm. uh,
1: but uh, it definitely was a, a, a beautiful production and a, a very, a very good mini series. And uh, I was extremely happy with the music and i can point out something else uh, in that if you look at my music it goes all over the place in terms of style from big big orchestra to synthesizers to rock and roll to ethnic so the first thing <coughs> excuse me the first thing i do when i look at a film is go what's the palette so it's almost like an artistic reference
2: mm-hmm.
1: what is the palette to this film and so like how I describe the music to *Son of the Morning Star*, where each element, I went, this has this sound, this has this sound. So I give myself very specific outlines and limitations when I start writing, and uh, I do that in all my films, which sort of leaves my body of work all over
0: the place. <laughs> <laughs> so that's. Just I did notice that, out. yeah, with the ones you sent me, yeah. I mean, I mean, but it's it's fascinating to see how you can how you can do that. Do you, uh, well, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit. I I am curious, what, because we didn't, we kind of danced around it, but what was it that eventually got you into to actually writing scores for film and television?
1: Well, I came, uh, I started coming, I came back from England and I was trying to make a living as a musician. I was, I guess 21 or something. And it's a hard, hard business to make living it. And I was working, part-time like meaning a couple days a week and my father had a uh, retail jewelry store and I worked at that and I met a group of musicians uh, who were songwriters and there was one person who had built a studio who was older built a studio to develop new new acts and then would rent out the studio during the day to other people to pay for it and then the his people that he was producing would record at night. And Mm -hmm. I was playing songs and writing songs with my brother, Mark. And this guy's name was, uh, Charlie Plotkin, who ended up being one of the producers of Springsteen years later. Um, he, uh, you know, brought us into the fold and I arranged a lot of records. I wrote tons of songs. Uh, uh, some of them got recorded, But then, you know, I was always on the edge, never really making enough, any money, almost at all doing that. Mm -hmm. And one day a friend called me from college, who was the stage manager of my musicals when I was in college and said, hey, Craig, uh, she had gotten married and her husband wanted to be a director and had enrolled in American Film Institute here in Los Angeles, and he had made... uh, really cheap horror film on what was called super 16, which was a 16 millimeter film.
2: Oh, okay. and, she,
1: and she said, you know, you're the only person I know in Los Angeles who's a musician and we need to put music to this film and we don't know anyone. Maybe you would know someone. And I remember mm-hmm. just saying, I'll do it. And, yeah. uh, I did it and I loved it so much. The film never got released. But I loved it so much that I went, this is what I should be doing. I should not be trying to write hit songs. That isn't my talent. My talent is a much broader canvas that isn't trying to hit this little teeny hit song bullseye every time, which is what a, a pop songwriter has to do. Yeah. And so that's how I got started. And then I just started pursuing it but then the most interesting thing and this most serendipitous thing was that i looked around at some of the people i had been playing music with in this little group of musicians and one of them was a bass player named peter bernstein his father was elmer bernstein another Ah. one was a guitar player named andrew gold his father was ernest gold another was a (laughs) singer named wendy waldman her father was fred steiner Who wrote the Perry Mason theme and Rocky and Bullwinkle and Star Trek? And I went, oh, your parents, and they had all gone to school together, which is how that sort of happened. I said, your 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 parents are all film musicians. Oh yeah yeah. So I ended up calling all of them, and the three of them became my mentor. You know, and Elmer Bernstein, of course, is one of the all time greatest film composers. Yes, To Kill a Mockingbird, The Ten Commandments. and hundreds of other movies yeah. Ernest Gold wrote all the Stanley Kramer movies like the theme from Exodus which was a huge huge hit when it was written and Fred Steiner and they all became uh, my mentors and sort of in different ways helped my career and taught me about being a film composer
0: wow so how lucky can you get
1: it was purely luck it was just
2: well that
0: you know that's all right though things. you know i
1: mean that's that is a lot of times right. a big part of life yeah no it's a wow. big part of life and uh you know it's being in the right
0: place in the right time and, somehow yeah, and being ready for that yeah and being ready you for that obviously you were
1: you have to be ready if you're not ready it doesn't mean anything
0: well the um, the next cue we were going to play it's and you'll have to help me with this cuz i think it's I don't have the full title here in front of me. Into the Starscape? Is this going to be from The Last Starfighter?
1: Yeah. So this is, I guess this is the music that I'm best known for today, all these years. Uh, This music, The Last Starfighter, is still performed all the time, all over the world by orchestras.
2: Hmm. Uh,
1: In fact, it's supposed to be performed near, you know, orchestra in Orange County near Los Angeles in june or july whether that's going to happen or not but but william shatner was going to conduct it which was going to be such a trip
0: (laughs) holy smoke i didn't even know he
1: did such a thing really he he doesn't but uh, (laughs) the conductor the conductor uh, richard kaufman who has recorded this piece uh you know, wanted to he wanted wanted to do something with William Shatner. So I have a feeling it's all going to be canceled because of this uh, virus. But oh. anyway, uh, this is the 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 final scenes in the last Starfighter going into the end title.
0: Okay, right. Well, let's uh, let's have a listen. This is from the the last star. Uh, excuse me, the last Starfighter, and uh, just sit back and enjoy. We'll get back to our guest here in just a minute. I was curious if you uh, ever find yourself in a position where you like to kind of show off unique items of yours, maybe a, a coffee mug or a T-shirt that's, you know, something that not everybody can get. In our case, because you're listening to the show, I'm guessing it would be nice. I certainly like it if I could find some kind of a film score mug or T-shirt that I could show off, you know, like pictures of composers and stuff. Oh, wait a minute that does exist what you have to do is go visit redbubble.com and search for what's the score or search for frank wilson's shop and there you'll find the logo to the program uh, for our podcast and it's available on mugs shirts stickers and far more uh, all sorts of items if you recall our logo is a film strip with composers faces uh, on the different frames so you'll see composers like john williams John Barry. Lalo Schifrin, and some others you'll recognize. So if you want to show off your love of film music, this is the perfect way to do it. Visit redbubble.com, that's R-E-D-B-U-B-B-L-E.com, and search for either What's the Score, or um, you can also search for Frank Wilson's Shop. And you can also visit our Red uh, Facebook page and get more information on that as well. So I want to encourage you to check it out. That's redbubble.com redbubble.com search for what's the score you almost answered what my was my next question but perhaps there's some other things there sure Uh, because you had some great mentors i mean you know giants really in the industry which is absolutely fascinating so I don't know if it's going to be the same people or not, but do you feel like that you've been influenced or have you admired some other film composers and that they may have had a, a, some kind of an influence on your work?
1: Oh, absolutely. There's a, a lot of great film composers. And uh, I, think, I think Elmer was one of the greats because Elmer Bernstein, he could do so much with music and film. He could, he could bring out the subtext of a film so well meaning he could, the music would tell you what was going on emotionally underneath for the characters. Mm. Even if the characters dialogue didn't express it, the music did, which is why there's music in film. I mean, why is there music in film to begin with anyway? It makes no sense at all. And yet there's more music than ever. And one of the reasons is, is because it expresses an emotional subtext. But, uh, the other composer, I love Max Steiner. Okay. These are the, from the golden age. Uh, right. So Max Steiner did Casablanca, uh, The Maltese Falcon, uh, Gone with the Wind. Yeah. You know, uh, countless movies. I love yeah. Bernard Her- Bernard Herrmann, of course. He did all of the Hitchcock films, but also mm-hmm. did uh, Jason and the Argonauts. A lot of those sort of Harry, Harryhausen sci-fi films. mm uh more contemporary i love dave grueson who wrote a lot of more jazz scores right Um, and i think also one of my i mean contemporary meaning still working thomas newman i think is a a terrific composer and i love randy newman so those are those are people who i really think are doing doing great work
0: and 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 they
1: have done great work
0: yeah that's quite a list, and what's kind of neat is, I guess you've had an opportunity, just by virtue of where you live and, and what you do, you probably have had an opportunity to meet many of those uh, po- folks, have you? And
1: yeah, if they were alive, I met them. Well, yes, yeah. uh, I've been on the uh, executive. I was on the executive uh, committee for the music branch of the academy for over twenty years, and so oh, I, kn- okay. I I knew all the old timers, because I was the young guy. And then when I started out uh, and just was trying to break into the business, people would invite me to their sessions. So I would go see Elmer Bernstein. I saw him uh, record The Shootist, which was John Wayne's last movie. I saw John Barry, who was another amazing composer, one of my favorites, who did all the early Bond films, but also did Out of Africa. And I saw him record King Kong the newark
0: thing Okay. okay um, yeah,
1: so I, w- I was being invited to a lot of scoring sessions to see what it was all about
0: yeah well this audience will know for well and I'm, I didn't expect wouldn't expect you to know that is that the uh, if I had to pick my absolute favorite there's no there's no question that it's John Barry. that's who I've always uh, loved uh, so I'm I'm really i I think it's yeah wow it, I would have loved to have been in one of those recording sessions I don't know what it was well, like
1: but it was fantastic, because he had such an, a beautiful style um, in his music. I was just watching on TV, sitting home, All you know, we're all under quarantine, right. watching and uh, Peggy Sue Got Married came oh, on. Yeah. And that's just a great score. And then, of course, Out of Africa is one of the all-time best scores in the world. But oh, then think... also Somewhere in Time, I think, is a gorgeous melody.
0: Oh, uh, Probably yeah, so the most John, underrated one, of you, you know, I'm just shocked that that didn't get nominated in some way I think or fashion.
1: Because, I think because it was also using Rachmaninoff in that score, and I mm. think it sort of confused the music palette, as it were. Yeah. But that's a great score. Uh, I love and I love that movie, Somewhere in Time. Uh, but, you know, Out of Africa is the ultimate. In, and, of course, Dances with Wolves is an amazing yeah. score.
0: Well, you mentioned so something. He, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. No, you mentioned something that I think he always tried to do or so he said because he used to like to consider himself in his later years as a musical dramatist. but he, he always he said there's well he don't even let me stay here. He had said that what he tries to do a lot of times unless it's, it calls for something different, he is trying to express what's going on in the characters through music. and you're saying that's kind of like what Elmer Bernstein did. And, uh, and I've, I, I love that approach
1: well that is mean, the job i think that's the job of the composer is to express the subtext and express what because it's music is an uh, enters one's body involuntarily so it's not like you have to look look at a look at a movie with your eyes and then run it through your brain and think about whether you like it or this and that and make judgments music bypasses all that music uh, goes straight into very deep parts of your brain that have been around since the beginning of humanity and affect us Mm. and affect us, whether we want it to affect us or not. We have zero control over music short of putting earplugs in. And so that's why the music in a film just is what hits you. Like when you're watching Peggy Sue got married and that music comes on, it's like you get, you get tears in your eyes. You can't help it.
0: And, and that's what and,
1: John Barry did so well.
0: Yeah, and uh, most people don't have the uh, haven't had the opportunity like you do to watch a film with no music, and it's amazing how flat it sometimes can be totally. without ha- having the score. It's it just, it just loses something. So yeah, it's yeah. in your view, and I'm not I'm not saying whether it's good or bad, but it's just an an objective observation. Do you find that there's like a lot of music or or more music than in films than there used to be, it seems to me, it's like, it's sometimes it's almost wall to wall music for, for a talkie. And I, (laughs) I think
1: there is, I think I feel that there is, but I, you know, I haven't done any measurements, but I think we go through different phases, um, and styles like everything else. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a, there was a period when films had very little music, uh, if you think of the John Cassavetes films and things where people didn't really want music and the only music was music that actually occurred literally on the film, like if you walk into a club and oh, there's okay. a band playing. But uh, I think go, we're almost back to where they were in the uh, late 1930s and 40s where there was a huge amount of music and film. And that started again, really, with Spielberg and, and Lucas with Star Wars and movies like that, where they were literally imitating the style of scoring of the old movies. And now, especially with uh, all the uh, you know Avenger movies and all that, there's those kind of movies just demand pretty much music from start to finish. Mm-hmm. All those all the superhero movies, because the music is what propels it and adds to the sort of magical feeling where you buy into these these characters and these worlds.
0: And, and what prompted me to, to ask you that question, too, was I thought you said something very appropriate, very uh, target, tar, uh, right on as far as I'm concerned, and that is silence. There are a lot of times that can be just as powerful as music, you know, Absolutely. picked at the right time, so... Alrighty.
1: Well, yeah. always, always in horror films, you're, you play all this ominous music, and then you stop,
0: mm-hmm. and then
1: the audience is off balance because they, they don't have that rhythm anymore, and that's when the big hit comes. That's when the knife <laughs> comes out. So there's always si- silence can be very unnerving in a film and and put you off balance. You can't know, you know, when the monster's going to pop out or whatever. So
0: yeah,
1: it's definitely
0: part of the part of the tools bad that's um another uh, composition of yours that you uh, had wanted to play is the i guess the the main title from a film called mr wrong
1: right so this was an interesting film unfortunately it didn't do very well but it was ellen degeneres's uh big move into movies
0: i remember and now okay it was yeah. a
1: huge it was a big flop but uh yeah, you can play it. Uh, it. It's interesting. So, so it's sort of very wacky. It was a black comedy, and the and the music is very, very extreme. All the sounds are ext- big brass sounds, big guitar mm-hmm. sounds, big piano sounds, and it's fun. And it has a Latin feel because a lot of the movie took place in
0: Mexico. Okay. Well, let's let's have a listen. This is the main title from a, a film called Mr. Wrong. I'm kind of curious because you've had such a, a varied career. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you, you've written for both film and television. Do you have a oh yeah a preference for one medium versus the other, and, and how how are they different? Well,
1: television, of course, has changed dramatically um, over the years. When I started out, people said, "Oh, don't do television. It's you know it's second rate, and no one will take you seriously." But of mm. course now now television and cable has totally taken over movies i mean 90 percent of the people watch movies on television now they don't even go to the theater Mm. and a lot of the really good music uh if you think of like game of thrones or something like that is being done for tv so that whole uh dichotomy between television and film has pretty much disappeared but The the big difference is that on television, you have very strong time limits and you don't have as big of, at least when I was doing a lot of television, the budgets are not as big. I mean, Son of the Morning Star was a good size budget. That was a a big, big score. But generally it's just you go in and you have to do it and then it's going to be in the air in five days. So (laughs) there's not a lot of anxiety and not a lot of second guessing in movies such as that movie Mr. Wrong there was nothing but second guessing and anxiety and backstabbing and craziness coming from Disney and not knowing what to do with Ellen because at that time she was starting to come out and Mm. the movie was a romantic comedy where she wasn't gay and this and that and you know and it was just it was a painful experience for everybody. And, and uh, that, so movies can be much better because you can take a lot of time. And also like in the last Starfighter, you can have a 90 piece orchestra for a week, you know, I mean, yeah. it's fantastic. Uh, but television, there's something just more quick and you just do it. So I've, I've done a lot of both and I, th- they're just different, but basically I write the same for both. You have well, to figure you know, out what your budget is
0: and just go for it. The um, I know a lot of times you would uh, uh, might have to do demos or those sorts of things for for films and, and this is sure. before the computer came into into play with it and you'd have to play the piano and you know right. for a film but for TV I guess because it was so fast paced if if you got the job you don't have to worry about doing <clears throat> demos just do it is that safe to say? I
1: That was certainly true, but usually on a new series, you would have to demo a main title.
0: Well, okay, yeah,
1: yeah, to demo a lot of main titles, and some I got, and some I didn't, you know. Mm -hmm. But you're right that making a demo was much, much more costly and time-consuming and complex. Now I can do it in an afternoon in my studio on the computer. It's amazing. But then Mm -hmm. you would, you know, you would obviously have to hire a room pay for tape which was very expensive mm-hmm. have an engineer and bring in actual people who played instruments so it was it it, it was much more difficult which meant it wasn't used as much they didn't right. make as many times
0: and yet you kind of need to do that because a lot of directors wouldn't and No, it's not their fault but it's hard to imagine what the full sound is going to, to be like well they like just hearing use, a piano or something
1: yeah. yeah but they had to use their imagination
0: True, yeah.
1: They yeah. have no other choice. You play <laughs> some examples, maybe if you were doing Star Wars, you'd play some big romantic symphonies or Holst, the planets or whatever, and then you'd say, you'd play your theme on the piano and say, but it's going to sort of sound like that with trumpets and the big orchestra, and they'd have yeah. to go, I mean, they, they actually had to use their imagination. Now they want to hear everything totally finished and then, you know, start changing it 8,000 times. So it's a different... <laughs> It's just a different challenge.
0: I bet. I bet. Well, one of the films that you're most well known for uh, is called Remo Williams. And it's that's where I was, as I recall, introduced to your music about uh, about these films. In fact, I was curious, did um, was there was there ever a plan to uh, have a series of films on this? I mean, you know, kind of like the Bonds or whatever.
1: Okay. there was. But the movie didn't do well enough. But there's still talk of a new one being made. I mean, I think there's a new, even all these years later, there's a script. And I heard there was going to actually be a new new one made because it is a series of books called The Destroyer that's super popular. I mean, there's about 60 books. So, uh, yeah, that was the idea. And the person who directed Remo was Guy Hamilton, Ah. who directed... uh, I think Goldfinger, a Goldfinger. lot of the early, a lot of the early bonds. He directed. Yeah. So, <clears throat> excuse me. So he, they were definitely going for that. It just didn't work out.
0: What was it like working with him? Did he, did, was he, uh, uh... he was,
1: yeah, he was great. He was uh, fairly detached. He came over and listened to the music. I, I had mocked up uh, the main themes at that point. We had a lot of synthesizers And he loved it. And it had a very strong Korean uh, subplot. Mm. So I used a, a Korean folk melody as one of the melodies. And also I planned to use, in terms of the palette, to use a big orchestra, but to use lots and lots of synthesizers. And then also to bring in a Korean orchestra. So you had, instead of doing sort of quasi- asian sounds which seemed horrible to me actually do the research of what korean music actually sounds like so i would go Mm. and spend hours at the ucla ethnomusicology library listening (laughs) to tapes of korean music Mm. and talking to korean musicians because we have a big korean population here and of course this is before uh, spotify and you could just listen to a thousand korean things in your living room but I know. there you actually had to go and it was a much more difficult but uh so i ended up actually finding a small a korean orchestra in los angeles and they played on it and that was challenging so it's a very oh. complex a very complicated score i think it's the most complicated score i ever did
0: and yet, if, if memory serves, did I, did I not just see uh, some kind of an announcement that it either is going to be re-released, or uh, I'm talking about the yeah, store?
1: The, the music is. So right. the music has already been released twice on two different CDs. And now it's they got the original uh Tapes, masters, yeah. masters, and they've done a whole new digital transfer, which is fantastic. And I think right now it's being released anew on CD, on Note for Note Music. And then the plan is in a few months they're releasing it on uh, vinyl.
0: Oh, wow. Have you had a chance so, to hear
1: it? Yeah, it sounds amazing. In fact, oh, this great. this is from the album, the one that I sent you, the main title, uh-huh. is from the new album so it is the it's the best sounding i've ever heard it since the year since we recorded it
0: so. all right well excellent let's uh let's have a listen to this this is the main title from the film remo williams <laughs> I know that you've also um, written things outside of the uh, the film and TV community. Sure, I was wondering if you could kind of tell us a little bit about that because you have you have done some music independent of those sorts of things, and is it is it jazz or is it you know you have a certain style or thing that you like to do outside of the film world?
1: Well, I'm on my third album now. I've had two albums released, and I don't know what the what you'd call it i don't think mm-hmm. it fits neatly into any genre you know there everybody's going well what is this is this new age is it you know there's a million google music genres and you'd be surprised what <laughs> the, yeah. the, the charts you you know the flow charts you come up with uh it it's mostly orchestral music and it's music that's a combination of live instruments and, uh, and, uh, electronic instruments. Mm-hmm. The first there, I guess all you can say is they're thematic because I'm basically a dramatic composer. So the first one I released was called rough magic and it was based on impressions of paleolithic cave art. So I had always loved, uh, the paintings, you know, from, between 40 and 15,000 years ago on caves of early man. And I would visited some of them back in the late seventies, but I went back and I recorded in the caves and got all the reverbs from the caves and oh, sounds wow. and, and then wrote impressions of what that was like. And th- that music is pretty avant garde. It's not like you're going to walk away humming it, but it's really intense and interesting. And then my second album is I've always loved the Odyssey. So I thought, well, let's do impressions of the Odyssey and let's try to find a bunch of the locations where the Odyssey maybe took place, even though we don't really know. But most of it people think is around Sicily and North Africa. Mm -hmm. So I went to Sicily and again, I found all these places. I recorded sounds and got inspired and enjoyed Sicily, which is a great place. Yeah. And that's called Sirens. And that one came out, I guess, about two and a half years ago, if if that. And uh, that's very melodic and very accessible. And I I really like it. I feel it's it's a really nice album. And my new one, which I'm trying to finish uh, right now remotely, I'm working with musicians where we send each other files we're never <laughs> in the same same room anymore uh it's called L A X E X, and it's about i figured well instead of going to northern spain and southern france to see prehistoric caves or go to sicily i think i'll just i grew up in los angeles maybe i'll write about all memories of Los Angeles and how it's changed. So that's what that's about. Oh, wow. And uh, it's coming out really well. I'm really enjoying it. And I'm supposed to hear a lot of the violin tracks today. So it should be, <laughs> you know, it's, it's a lot more fun when you're in the room <laughs> with the players and you can sort of do a back and forth. But uh, right now you can't really do that. So that's my new album. I, I think it'll be released uh, on note for note music. And at the end, probably I would say in the, at the end of the year at this point, because I think we have at least another month and a half of to finish it. And then by the time it's the package is put together. So, uh, that's, that's what I've been working on.
0: Now it, it, it it does strike me though, that you, you, you still kind of as an inspiration had either a story or visuals.
1: Right. That's uh, what I said. I'm a dramatic composer, uh, And I like dramatic music. I like music that has a story attached to it. Now, Mm -hmm. if you just put this music on and you didn't know the story, it's not like you're going to know what I'm writing because there's no, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, but that is the inspiration for me. And uh, I do I do like writing dramatic and pictorial music. I, I, I really enjoy it.
0: Well, speaking of that, let's let's listen to uh, another cue that you had uh, passed along. This, um, let's see, the main title from e, uh, East L.A.?
1: No, it's Standard. The movie's called Stand and Deliver.
0: Okay, pardon me.
1: And Stand and Deliver was probably the most seen movie I've ever done. It's a classic at this point. It's been shown in schools all over the world it's the story uh, based on a true story of a teacher in east los angeles which is uh at the time was mostly a poor latino neighborhood and he decided he was going to teach his students ap calculus and he did and uh it's this, and that's the story in fact uh James Olmos played the the teacher and he was nominated for best actor Academy award that year. And this, this is really one of those films that uh, just has, has influenced and touched so many people and been a very inspirational film. So this uh, is about East LA, the, the, the main title, and you can hear a lot of Latin and also South American influences But all the percussion is done with instruments that I sort of invented and put into computers.
0: Oh, wow. Well, excellent. Let's have have a listen to this. This is, again, the main title from the film Stand and Deliver, written by our guest. Let's have a listen. Strictly for the purposes of the film or do you sometimes also keep in mind i want this to work as a standalone piece as well does does that make sense what i'm asking and
1: yeah but i i learned really early on and i mean if you really think about it over the years of film music there have been very few film and certainly recently not at all there have been very few pieces that have lived outside of the film um it's almost impossible to think of one except if you say, okay, I'm going to hire Adele to write a song for a James Bond movie. I mean, you know, or Billy Eilish to do that. But in terms of the orchestral music, it, it doesn't almost doesn't even exist as a possibility. Mm-hmm. Um, the last one maybe, I don't know. I mean, gone with a wind was a big theme. Uh, you know, the, oh, the Pink Panther, I guess, was a, a big theme at that time. True. Yeah. But but it so what what I learned and what I really learned from Elmer Bernstein was that the music is doing a job in the film, and that's what you've got to do. And if it lives, like he wrote, the, what was it, the Magnificent Seven? You know, right. bump, bump bump bump. That became a big, well-known theme. Yeah. If it lives outside of the movie, that's great you know, like Rocky was one, but uh, that isn't really what you need to think about unless you're writing a song for a film that is specifically meant to be a hit and be part of the promotion of a film. And probably, you know, I mean, the last one written by a composer, because it used to be that the composer would write those songs, but for the last twenty or thirty years is mostly they'll they'll go outside of the composer and go specifically to songwriters. But the last yeah. big one was uh Titanic, which was written by the composer James Horner. The theme uh, what is it called? My heart will go on. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't happen very often anymore. And it's yeah, not a which big I consideration.
0: Think is, yeah, which I think is kind of a shame because I always liked Hearing that that theme kind of replay itself uh, during the course of the movie, it really added a, a good connection to the to the th- song and, and right. the movie itself. Yeah. Well, there's a, another cue you had mentioned or listed. Uh, I think it's on on a dolphin's back. Right. You... So
1: that's from uh, Sirens. That's from my my album. Oh, okay. And uh, the the inspiration is that. Uh, Odysseus was thrown into the sea and attached himself to a fish and, you know, made his way. And so I just sort of tried to picture what that would be
0: like. And that's this piece of music. Well, okay. Yeah, this is the, uh, the piece you were talking about that was inspired by the Odyssey. So that's correct. All that's right. One of, one of the tracks. Yes. Yeah. Let's, let's sit back and enjoy this. Uh, the cue is called On a Dolphin's Back. You, uh, you already mentioned one project that you're working on right now. I'm just kind of curious if the future holds uh, anything else for you other than that album right now. Are you looking beyond that? Uh,
1: not really. I'm I, I'm putting all my energy into this album and finishing it. Uh, I've been working on it for, I think, almost a year and a half or two years because I stopped in the middle to do the Phantom of the Opera. And then also last summer, there was a big concert concert where they used some of the music from Sirens uh, and did modern dance to it. But I had to re-orchestrate it for a symphony orchestra, and that took a couple months to do. So half of last year was was sort of taken up by other things. So right now I'm just finishing this album. When I finish it, I'm also teaching a course uh, and uh, in why music, why music works in movies. I'm teaching a course at Chapman University and then I also oh, gave a lecture at to the film school. Then I also gave a lecture actually on Zoom about the same thing a couple of weeks ago to the USC film school. So I've been sort of putting my thoughts down as to why there's music in film and you know and teaching it as a as a professor. So so that's sort of where I'm at. I'll probably Start thinking about the next album at
0: some point. (laughs) But just because we don't see uh, see your name attached to any kind of a film or TV series does not mean you're not staying busy. It sounds like you are. No, I'm I'm
1: I'm always busy. But I I think as far as film music goes, I don't know that I'll be doing much more of that. I did it for 30 years, and that's probably I'm very thankful that uh, I could make a good living for all those years now i'm enjoying it
0: <laughs> so. yeah no, that's good yeah that's like bill conti kept crediting what was the theme from rocky was paying for his kids college and then he came up with another piece of music well this paid for that and it's okay yeah, it's kind of absolute, funny how it works
1: absolutely listen cheers we didn't talk about cheers but cheers is still running all over the world every day of the week
0: I mean, did, yeah and just goes uh, on and on and i don't want to I, I promise we won't spend a lot of time but did you wrote the score for that show for a number of years right but the title yeah, song I, was someone else
1: yeah I was hired uh, by Jimmy Burles who was the director and producer he already had the song and uh, he just said you want to do the music to this and you know and I said sure and it was sort of a side gig because it didn't take very much time and I was doing all these movies at the time yeah for 11 years wow. I wrote the background the the, the background music I produced the the me. The song I produced, I was the producer on it and ran the session, but uh, you can hear me playing piano and everything. I play piano and everything mm. in Cheers. And, and I wrote all the, all the what you call incidental music or background music for 11 right. years of, all 11 years of Cheers. So, you know, so that's a nice thing. We get royalties on all that music.
0: Yeah, the residuals twice. are sweet on that, right? Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, so, yeah, Craig, look, I, I can't, Thank you enough for taking the time to be with us today. I, and I also know, and I should tell our listeners that uh, he took some time out of his busy schedule to help put together the program and send all the cues to us. So I, I don't know how else to say it other than just a simple thank you. I really appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed it. I did enjoy
1: it. And thanks for asking me. And it's uh, a nice thing to do in the middle of quarantine. You have to keep, <laughs> You have to keep busy and keep your day varied.
0: Yeah, indeed.
1: And not eat oh, too that. much pasta. So.
0: <laughs>
1: also, like, what day is it? You forget
0: what day it is. I know. It's, that's it's actually happened to me. Yeah. That's happened to me a couple of times, and I'm Absolutely. shocked. Weird. I mean, I really have to think about it. What is today?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I know. I have to look at my computer. Up.
0: <laughs> anyway, <laughs> just... it was a, a pleasure. And uh,
1: if anybody wants to hear more of my music, you can uh, just go to my website. Which is? Just, just craigsaffin.com. And you can hear tons of music
0: on that. Excellent. Very good. And I appreciate you sharing that. Okay. uh, Yeah, that's going to wrap it up for us. Uh, There's only only one thing left to say, and that's simply this. My name is Frank R. Wilson. My time's up. I thank you for yours. Thanks for listening to What's the Score?